Good morning. Good morning. There you are. I was like, wow. I thought there was more than 10 of you out there, but math wasn't my strong suit. Um, This morning, we're continuing our series in the book of Ephesians, uh, just simply titled In Christ. And we're going to be focusing on on reconciled together in Christ. Now, I want to do something that I normally do uh, when I speak at somewhere for the first time. So if you've already seen me do this before... God bless you, we're doing it again. Um, but the, the reason I want to do this is because I, I think it's really, really helpful. So we're gonna, it's a bit of a trust exercise, so you're just going to have to trust me. All right? So what I'm going to ask you to do right now is close your eyes. You know, if you want to bow your heads, if that's helpful, you can do that. But the only requirement is you close your eyes. Um, and I want you to think about you know, these three, three questions. The first one is, what comes to mind when you think about race? What comes to mind when you think about family? And what comes to mind when you think about church? Now I want you to open your eyes. You see? Boom. So some of you looked at me, you didn't look there. So that's good. I know you're following me, right? Now, there's a reason why I always put up a picture like this, right? Because I think for a lot of us, we grow up and we uphold this idea that race is, is, is separated from church or, or that family is separated from church or, or what even is church, right? And I like to pull up this picture because I think it's a, it's a good, uh, not even like a, I think it's a good representation of what Paul's going here. So I want you to bear with me. My, my wife is from Elverson, Pennsylvania. You know, she's a farmer's daughter. Most people don't know where Elverson is. So if you're driving on the turnpikes of Philadelphia, you hit the Morgantown exit, there's a Walmart there, right? If you put your finger out the window, hopefully you're driving. Right? Maybe someone else can help you. But if you put your finger out the window, you'll hit the Walmart. If you go up the hill, you'll hit Twin Valley where she went to high school and like her and her, like everyone, went to high school. But then if you go like this from the high school, you'll hit the ancestral burial grounds where I think Stoltzfus has been buried there for hundreds of years. And if you go like this again, you'll, you'll hit the, the farm that, that her family has owned for I think hundreds of years too, right? So like, like that's where my wife is from. Now, now me, you know, that's a little bit trickier question. You know, I'm a, a child of Monrovia, but I've lived in Freetown town and Abidjan outside New York City and, and I grew up in Philly, right? But one of the things about us is that, you know, we started recognizing that our children are not just born and raised in Harrisburg. When people ask them where they're from, it's not complicated. Like, we're from Harrisburg, you know? So at some point we're like, I guess we're from Harrisburg too, you know? But, but why I bring this up is because for, for us, race isn't separated from our everyday reality, right? Like, family isn't separated from church, right? And this idea of race, family, church, we walk in this as a reality. We're not special in this, right? Because all of us in this room talk about race. All of us in this room are, are living within a context and a system and a structure where race is not only a primary identifier, race has been systematically a value system that's set up for all of us to live under. You know, the, the, the new, uh, I guess, sociologists and academics will say race is a social construct. And I'm like, I agree with you, but we're still living in the building. Right? So it's not just an ideal. We're still in this building that's set up. And the reason this is important is because we live in a world that's defined by race. But the argument that that Paul is going to make in this letter, in this passage we're going to look at this morning, is that we don't have to pretend that race doesn't exist. We don't have to pretend that family isn't complicated. We don't have to pretend that this hasn't impacted the church. But the argument becomes, how has race or how should race impact the church? Furthermore, what does the family of God look like? 
And that's what he wants us to understand. I think for a lot of us, when we read in the New Testament, Jews and Gentiles, we make it like, well, insiders, outsiders, you know, the Jewish people and everyone else, right? This is a racial argument that Paul is making. Paul is defining people by race, not their nation they belong to, but, but the race that they are. And I love it because when people say, I don't know if the Bible's relatable anymore, I'm like, are you sure? Because I think Paul talks about race, and it's more comfortable talking about race than we as Christians are today. But that's what we're going to do this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 11 to 22. And again, our focus here is what does it mean to be reconciled in Christ? If you are with us last week, you know that in Ephesians chapter 2, the the argument or the, the position that Paul's going to take is that, listen, God's grace is manifested as a sign of God's power. To a people who are obsessed with power, Paul's going to say, you want to know one of the ways God shows his power? He gives us grace. Right, And it's grace that we haven't earned, and it's free get this in in salvation. So the idea that we've been rescued, we who were dead have been made alive, we who were outsiders are now made sons and daughters, we who were, were physically in this world have now in Christ been seated in the heavens, that's a sign of God's power. When you get to the second half of the passage, which we'll look at in a minute, Paul is going to make this thing is that, you know another way to see God's power, right? Another way to see God's power is in the multi-ethnic family of God. Another way to see God's power is this reflection that looks like our God, the remnant of all these peoples coming together in Christ. The power of God is shown in the gospel in the unity of heaven and earth. But the power of God is also shown in this local body, this new humanity, this new family that represents our God and the kingdom of God. Amen? Have your Bibles again. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those of you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you so much that you're indeed the God of grace, of peace, and reconciliation. God, our Father, we thank you for your grace, that unmerited favor, that undeserved blessing that you chose to save us of heaven coming down to earth, of you sending your Son for our salvation. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed our peace, that you come to bring peace with us and God, but also peace with one another. We thank you that in your sacrifice, 
by going into that arena, by defeating sin and death and destruction, by being raised from the dead, you show us that this new humanity is possible. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the reconciliation we can now know. That through your power, we've been convicted, we've been called, we've been called back home again. And it's you who works in us to unite us and knit us together as one. It is you who works in us to remind us and to teach us and to be our light and be our guide. And it's you who work in us to make God's kingdom and God's family shown. So God, while we are excited about your work and your power, help us to know that in our faithful witness, with our lives as testimony, in us being members of one another, we can show your power too. In your holy and precious name, amen. So in this passage, Paul is going to say it's important that we're reconciled together in Christ. And so we said that the first half is he's going to talk about what has happened in the spirit world, right? Like, like somehow that through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been exalted above all the powers of be, and we are actually above all the powers of the earth and seated with Christ in the heavens. And what's fascinating to me is that most Christians hear that. We can't explain it because I'm physically in Harrisburg, but somehow I'm seated in the heavens. Most of us hear that. We're like, oh, that makes sense, right? But then when he says we're family, we're like, well, I don't know. That's interesting. What do you mean family? You know, like, like we're one. Oh, that, that one seems a little hard. Like I can see myself in the heavens, but breaking bread with Hank, that's a little hard, you know? But he's going to make the argument that just as it's possible that we're seated in the heavens, that now our earthly condition says we are a multi-ethnic body. And I think it's, it's important for us to point out that Paul is actually writing to a multi-ethnic body. A lot of times we talk about diversity and why we need to, to not only welcome people from all nations, tribes, and tongues. People look at us like it's weird. It's just like, this is weird, right? Paul's not writing to an ideal. He's writing to a reality, right? When I walk into my family, we eat dinner. That's not an ideal. That's just our reality, right? Paul's writing to a people who are already doing this. And while some of us, like, maybe it's just me, right? When we're having a bad day, we're like, listen, Jesus, I'm not sure when you're going to come back, but if you'd like to make it today, it wouldn't be that bad, right? This was me all throughout my academic career, right? If there was a test I didn't study good enough for, I was like, listen, I know you're going to come back at an unexpected time, but if Mrs. Seven's period, Mrs. Biffin's English class, if you'd like to show up right before, I'm not going to complain, right? So a lot of us want God to show up in these powerful ways, right? For me, that was a powerful way. You might be different. It might be Jesus just hanging out right here. You see him, right? But how Paul's going to articulate this argument is that, like, another way that God shows up is in a multi-ethnic body of believers, a local body. And again, he's writing to a people just like us who've been defined by race. For them, it's, it's Jews and it's Gentiles. He's writing to a time and place where your race made up part of your fundamental identity. And he's not writing to erase your fundamental identity. He's saying, I want to explain to you how this all comes together. And I love this about Paul because he's writing, meeting people where they're at. And that's important for us, right? That's the whole story of God. God meets us where we are to take us where he desires us to be, right? If you want to summarize all of Scripture, that's it right there. I, you might get a better summary, but for me, that's what makes more sense. He meets us where we are and takes us where we're going to be. If you need something more practical, imagine someone drowning, right? And you saying, you know what? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Or like, here's some $20. Let me throw some money at you, right? The person will still drown, right? You have to actually get what? Get in the water and, and rescue the person. If it was seventh grade and Buddha punches you in the mouth and you're bleeding, but you still save him, it's okay, I, I don't with it later, you know, but, but it's like if he punches you in the mouth, but you still get them out, right? The idea is that you got to meet people where they are, take them where God desires them to be. And I think for some of us, we do half 
or the other half, right? For some of us, it's like, I know you're drowning, but it sure is nice on the beach. <laughs> you know, it's, it sure is nice on this other shore. If you can just doggy paddle, you might make it, right? But it's just as destructive for us to see people drowning and to jump in the water and drown with them too. The work of God's people is the work of God. And the work of God is to meet us where we're at, to take us where God desires us to be. What is creation? But God, heaven coming down to create earth. What is salvation? But God sending his son from heaven, the one who knew radiance to take on skin. What is our destiny? But what God has said that we are now seated with Christ, that we now have a new hope, a new reality. We are now sons and daughters of the king of all kings. What is Jesus or who is Jesus but incarnation? But the the God of the universe who spoke into the earth, into existence, coming and being part of this creation. What is crucifixion? But Jesus dying the death that was ours. But Jesus taking the pain and the suffering and the punishment that was ours to show us that death and sin and darkness can all be defeated. What is the resurrection? But God saying, it is done, my son. I forgive them, my son. The lost children can come home again. Who is the Holy Spirit but the one that stirs us up? We don't save ourselves. We don't even think about God until the Holy Spirit stirs us up inside of us. What is salvation but the Holy Spirit's invitation for you to enter into the family of God? What is the Christian witness but the Holy Spirit meeting you where you're at, right, and transforming you into the image of Jesus? That is the pattern of God. I meet them where they're at to take them where I desire them to be. And you'll see Paul in another part of his writing says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? And this is the same thing we're saying here. I need to meet you where you're at to take you where I desire you to be. So when Paul talks about the multi-ethnic kingdom, the question is, I'm following God to take you where God is. I'm not following Greco-Roman. I'm not following America. I'm saying this is what the kingdom of God looks like. So the question to us becomes, well, how indeed do we follow Christ's example? How are we following Christ's example? Because essentially, this is the pattern we are to follow. It's not enough to say we are different, we are diverse, we come from different races and places, right? That's where we start. But where does God desire us to be? And for Paul, the answer is simply this. Christ is indeed our peace. Christ is our reconciler. For Paul, if you want to see God's power, you see that in a situation or a society that's defined by race, You see a multi-ethnic, local body. You see people who belong to each other, who are living as part of one another. And I think it's important, again, to stress that Paul is preaching not an ideal, but a reality. He's preaching, and he'll say this in in chapter 3, as he said in chapter 1, I'm preaching to reveal a mystery. And the mystery isn't some, like, lockbox that you're fighting to solve, right? The mystery is what? Taking something that was hidden and revealing it. Taking something that wasn't understood and making it understood. Taking something that you might not have seen before and show you this new reality. And the new reality is that God so loved the world. That every single person matters. That everyone gets a seat at the table. But even more than that, everyone has a part to play. And if you're going to look like you're Christ, You've got to be a home and a hospital and a healing and a welcome center to everyone who looks different than you, too. And so Paul starts by saying, let me start with where you at. We have the Jews, and then we have the ethnos, 
ethnos is, is, is where we get um, this word for Gentiles. And like we said, Paul likes to pack it on, right? Like, it's like you, he starts saying something like, I get it. He's like, no, you don't get it. I'm going to tell you and tell you and tell you, right? So he starts off and saying, we are ethnos, you Gentiles, right? You are the human family. You're everyone outside of Israel. It's like, yeah, Paul, I got it. He's like, no, 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 no. You are people who had no deliverer. Yeah, Paul, I got it. You had no hope. Yeah, Paul, I got it. You have no home. Yes, Paul, I got it, right? Like, I got it. No hope, no home, no future. He's like, but here's the thing. You're people who aren't even worshiping the true God. It's like, yes, Paul, we get it. We're Gentiles, right? No hope, no deliverer, no home, not worshiping the true God. But then he keeps going. He says, you're also separate from Christ, the Messiah, right? You don't even know who he is. In fact, physically, we have marked you with circumcision, so we know you don't belong. But deeper than that, spiritually, we have the Torah and the law to tell you that you're different and you don't belong. And they're like, yes, Paul, we get it. What's the point he's making in all of this? It's simply this. In God's kingdom, there's these two branches that are being kind of molded together. And the first branch is the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Israel and the promises of the Old Testament. But all of those promises point to a new day and a new kingdom that's coming where everyone's included. And I think it's beautiful that the Jewish people would often look at the Gentiles and say, listen, you make your gods and your markers of being faithful to God with your hands, right? You make it with your hands, and, and that's what makes people in. It's like what gods they built. And Paul seems to be flipping that on his head and saying that, like, we too as Jews have made a marker with our hands. We physically circumcised you to tell you that, that, that you don't belong to us. And spiritually, God would have a set of laws that are in the Torah and the Old Testament, and we've added on our own set of laws to, again, exclude you and tell you that you don't belong. One thing that's interesting about the word that, that, that uh, Paul uses here is in English we can translate it as alien or strangers or, or refugees. Paul seems to believe, like the people believed, that you as a non-Jew are outside the kingdom of God. You're outside the family of God. You have no access to God. You don't know God. You don't belong to God. Yet even still, he says, in Christ Jesus, by Jesus' blood, we've been brought near. And I think we miss the significance of that. Because at Ephesus, you just might get a family that's from sub-Saharan Africa who is sitting in those pews. In in Ephesus, you might just get a, a, a family from Southeast Asia who are sitting in those pews. In Ephesus, you might just get, uh, again, this is not my, I would never use this, this is not my language, but the academics call the people from Europe barbarians. I would never say such a thing, but that's what the academics call them. You might get a barbarian family from Europe who are sitting in those pews. Yet all of them, even the Jews, (laughs) would be sitting in those pews. Guess what they would be in Ephesus? Aliens and immigrants and strangers. And the significance is Paul is saying, you might be from sub-Saharan Africa, you might be from Asia, you might be a barbarian from Europe, but when you sit here, you are the family of God in Christ. He's making this argument in the early church. He's making this argument to a people who didn't think it was a big deal that they were different and all sitting there. He's like, look all around you. It's not a big deal, but it is because no one else is doing this, but you are reflecting Christ. When we said Christ is our king and our victor, we said it's kind of like David and Goliath, right? Where Christ becomes our champion, goes down into the valley of the shadow of death, is died and he's killed, but when he resurrected, that victory that he has now belongs to us. Paul seems to believe that part of the victory is that we who are aliens, we who are far off, we who did not belong, we who did not know God, we get to belong in Christ. 
We get to come home in Christ. We get to be one together in Christ. And then he makes this argument that it's Christ who is indeed our peace. It's Christ who indeed makes us one. So for Paul, the idea of coming together, despite the differences or despite the the systems in play or despite the, the, the separations that we allow in the world, for Paul, coming together is not the ideal, it's the reality. Because Jesus is the one who's reconciled us all to God. There's something that, that, that kind of adds more grounding to this, right? Paul's writing this letter from jail. And, and most people seem to believe that the reason he's in jail this time, you know, Paul's like your, your cousin who's like always in jail. It's like The reason he's in jail this time is actually because he broke one of the laws. And you know what law he broke? He dared, dared to take a Gentile into the temple. The kids say you've got to have skin in the game, right? Paul's writing this not as an idealistic thing, but saying, listen, I'm in jail because I believe God is for all the people. I'm in jail because I dared to take a Gentile into the kingdom. You have to understand something about the ancient world and the Greco-Roman world is that even when they conquered the Jews, they allowed the Jews to uphold certain temple laws and actually would jail you for breaking those temple laws. So Paul's writing as someone with skin in the game. He's not just saying, let me paint a rosy picture of idealism. He's saying, I'm in prison because I believe this is the reality. And it's fascinating because if you look at the Old Testament, the primary separation was supposed to be between the priest and the people. Over time, we seem to add separation between men and women. Over time, we add a separation between Jew and Gentile. And over time, we add a separation between rich and poor. We added all these walls of separation. And Paul is saying, I'm in jail because of these things you've added. But guess what? God so loved the world. In Jesus, we all belong. The other thing that's fascinating to me is like, I tend to, I'm not going to put this on you. I put a lot on you this morning. I'm going to put this on myself. I tend to think of the early church as this ideal place. All these different people coming together and worshiping. Yeah, they had a little tick here and there, but it was all, it was all rosy. You know what's happening at the time that Paul's writing this? Over in Caesarea, Jews and Syrians and Gentiles are killing each other in the street. Paul isn't just writing like, hey, it's cool, we're all together. He's saying, out there, we're killing each other. And we can relate to that because we're still killing each other here too. We're still letting how the world defines us matter more than our Christ. We're still separating by who's me and mine and who belongs to me instead of who all belongs to Jesus because they belong to me too. Paul's not painting any idealistic thing. He's saying the reality is that out there you're killing one another because of what you look like. But in here, you're family. In here, you belong to Jesus, but you also belong to one another. This is the new family that Christ has created. This is the new creation. And I love this because when we think about the new creation, we're like, God's created a new me. It's never about you. It's never about what God does individually to you. It's always about us. It's always about the world. It's always about what God is doing inside of all of us. And what does this new humanity look like? We have one body that is Christ's body. I would say this. I'm glad I woke up this morning and my knees didn't decide I'm just not part of the team anymore. I'm just good, you know? My back didn't say, you know what, I'm going to take the day off, right? 
Now, some of us are like, well, my back did take the day off. I'll pray for you, my sister. I'll pray for you, my brother. But for the most part, when we say we're part of one body, again, it's not just metaphysical or, or metaphorical or, or ideological, right? It's a simple idea that every part of the body is important to do its part and to fit into one. We now have one father. Again, for us, this isn't that revolutionary because we pray all the time, God, our father. But imagine being that family from sub-Saharan Africa. Or imagine being that family from Southeast Asia, and you're sitting in Ephesus, and you're looking at the Jews like, wow, they must be really God's people. And now Paul is saying, no, 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 we're all God's people. You're God's people too. Imagine the significance of that, of being an immigrant, an outsider, a refugee, who's trying to find their new life in this new land, in this new country. And Paul says, in this new country, you belong to me as I belong to you. We are one body. We have one Father. All of us have one access through the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit now lives inside of all of us. We are all full citizens. And I think that's something for some of us who are Americans. We don't know the importance of being a citizen until we go to another country, right? We go to another country like, well, they treat us different that we're Americans, right? They treat us a little bit different. Imagine being in the church again where you don't know if you even belong and have a place. And now Paul is saying like, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Ruth, Rahab, Bathsheba, all these saints of old, they belong to you too. Because they were all God's people coming together to do the work of God. We have the same foundation. We have the same cornerstone. That the apostles, the prophets, even Jesus himself belongs to us. And then he ends saying something that I missed my entire life until this week. He says, we are God's new temple. And I thought about it, and I'm like, that's really cool, right? Because the ancients and even people believe today that, that the temple is the place where God's presence dwells, right? And I thought the entirety of that was like, how amazing is it that God now lives inside of us? Like, how amazing is it that David can say, take not thy, my holy, take not thy holy Spirit from me, but the Holy Spirit now rests in us? And that's amazing. But what Paul is saying here is even more revolutionary that God lives in you. What Paul is saying here is that we tend to think of Solomon's temple as the high point of our faith, right? This is where God dwells, heaven came to earth, we went there to worship. That's the high point. And Paul is saying, that's not the high point. And, and the people in his day and age would have looked at the temple that Herod built and be like, that's just a waste of money because God's not there because Herod's doing that to make Herod look good. But what Paul's saying here, and you have to kind of take the other writings of Paul when he says, I'm the Jew of all Jews, right? And essentially he's like, I've studied this stuff, I know this stuff. And what Paul's doing here is he's taking hints that we see in Isaiah. Some points that Isaiah has made that we've made simply ideological, he's going to make them practical. Because in Isaiah, it's in Isaiah 52 that the prophet writes, how, how beautiful it is those who share the good news. Those who proclaim peace not just to Israel, but to the world. And it's in Isaiah 57 that Isaiah again says how beautiful it is that our God heals all people, that our God brings peace to those who are far. He makes them near. And Paul is also taking this idea, so God's good news brings peace to the world. God's healing is peace for the world. And in the core tenet of Isaiah's message that Paul's leaning on, it comes from Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8, and I want to read this. And foreigners, right? That's Gentiles, that's ethnos, that's the least of these, that's everyone who did not fit in to the kingdom of Israel, the Jewish population, right? And foreigners 
who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar or my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Don't miss the significance of what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, we know that heaven comes down to earth. We know the temple is where God rests. But we now know that the temple that God is building includes you from sub-Saharan Africa, includes you from Southeast Asia, includes you from Europe, includes you from Ephesus, includes you from Jerusalem. The temple that God is building is not a building we dream of. It's the people Jesus has created. You are now the temple of God. So when we say my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, it's not a dream about heaven. It's not a dream about building the perfect sanctuary, which if you're around here, you're like, yeah, if I'm thinking of the perfect sanctuary, this is it, right? It's not about dreaming about the perfect sanctuary to be built. It's saying that God has created us to be the house of prayer for all the nations. God has created us to be, as our African brother Augustine says, to be a home and a hospital. Christ has reconciled us to God, but also to each other. And by pledging to be members of one another, by pledging to be family, by breaking bread together, by actually doing life together, this is our witness. But you know there's a difference between witness and testimony. What we witness is what Jesus has done, that he's made it possible. But a question for us becomes, what's your testimony that proves what Jesus has done? Right? It's not enough for you to be like, well, Christ has reconciled us to God. He did all the work. What's the work that you're doing that proves that you belong to your sister, that proves that you belong to your brother? What's the work that you're doing? What is your testimony that shows that we are the new family of God? Because Paul seems to believe that in Christ we are home, we belong, we are one. So then the work for us becomes in Christ we are healers, we shine for God's glory. We bless. So in this world that still is going to define us by what we look like, that's still going to define us by, by maybe what we have in our bank account or what we have on our passport, Paul is going to say it's not an ideal, it's not a, a dream. The reality is when Jesus comes, he makes you family. So the question to us becomes, what is our testimony because we can witness that Jesus makes us family, but how does my life prove that we're family? How does my life prove that you belong to me? How does my life prove that I'm part of this new humanity that God is setting forth? In the next few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And I love that the old saints, before they took communion, they would spend some time and say, I need to get right with God, but I also need to get right with my brother or my sister. So I'm going to give you a minute as, as Pastor Carmen comes up and we get ready for the communion liturgy and that part of the service. But in that time, I want you to, to, to take some time to be reconciled to God. If there's something between you and God right now, or there's something that you're just like, God, I need your healing, I need your touch, or God, I'm struggling with this, take that time with God. But at the same time, remember that Jesus also reconciles us to one another. So if there's a, a sister or a brother that you don't feel quite reconciled with, take this time to say, God, I want to give this situation to you. I want to give myself to you, give this person to you, and I want you to help us reconcile. 
because I think that's the beauty of communion, right? Uh, of remembering not only what Christ has done, but how it's significant to us. I'm going to ask Pastor Hannah and the worship team to come up as well as we get ready. Uh, I think maybe she's just going to play. You guys don't come up yet. Yeah, yeah. Oh, see behind me. There it is. But be, oh, also lastly, um, the, the, the deacons are in the back. Like if you didn't get the communion elements on your way in, just raise your hand and they'll be happy to get it to you as well. But as we go to the table, just take some time to say, what does reconciliation with God mean for me right now? And who is this sister or this brother that I want to reconcile with in spirit before I go do it in truth before I come to the table? In the next moments, we'll be sharing in communion together, celebrating the new life that we have in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake of the bread and the cup. Again, if you need the elements, just raise your hand. We'll be happy to bring them around to you. As you receive them, we ask that you hold them until we have all been served and can partake together. Again, the table of the Lord is for all who believe. You don't have to be a member of Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, but you do have to believe and belong to the Church of Christ, and it's for all who've received Jesus Christ as Lord. We now invite you to come to this table not because we must, but because we may. We come to testify not that we are perfect, but we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. We come not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty we stand in constant need of heaven's help and mercy. We come not only to remember his death, but also his resurrection and promise to return. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before us, let us lift up our minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to us the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you to join us as we do some liturgy together. Please follow along. You'll be congregation. We'll be pastors. We pray that out of God's glorious riches, he will strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray to grasp as best as we can how wide and long and high and deep Christ's love is for us. And we pray to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and blessed it, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much that you are God of grace, that you have chosen to bless us with unmerited favor. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are indeed our peace, the one who's broken down all the walls of division, not only between us and God, but also with one another. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're the God who powers our reconciliation. We thank you that you're the one who calls us to you. Now, Lord, as we come to this table, we come to this table grateful to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for dying the death that was ours, for being broken so that we can be healed, for going into darkness and conquering it so that we can know what light is. With your body, Lord, you sacrificed for us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your salvation. In your name we pray. Amen. One more. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? 
Take and eat this bread, remembering he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing. And he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you, God, for sending your son to die on the cross for us, to shed his blood so we can be forgiven, so we can have access, full access, to your throne and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, God, for forgiveness of sins and being washed and clean. Father, help us to remember, God, that it's not only about our individual salvation, God, but it's to go in after those who are also drowning. Help us, God, to remember also, Lord, that we are parts of a whole. If one of us is missing, we are not complete. Thank you, Father, for your blood, your cleansing and washing forgiveness. Thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. My brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Cup of blessing which we bless, communion Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it together and be thankful. you. Um, at this time, I'd like to invite up the worship team. Uh, we're going to close our, our service singing a song that's pretty familiar around here, uh, Build My Life. Um, again, we'd like to ask any of the pastors in the room to please come up front. We'd love to pray for you. Um, pray for maybe something you want to respond to in the service or, or pray maybe there's, there's, there's something else going on in life that you need prayer for. We'd love to pray for you for that as well. Um, but, but as we sing this song, may we be reminded that, that what we build our life on is Jesus. Right? What we build our life on is the love of Jesus. What we build our life on is this call to be this new humanity, this call to be members of one another, this call to be the body of Christ. May we be as committed to each other as God is committed to us. And may our life be a witness not only of what Jesus has done, but what we're doing to make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's stand and sing together.
Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. together but we're both kind of commuting and so we would do lunch together in the the bustling metropolises of you know Lebanon Pennsylvania and and Hershey Pennsylvania and and Camp Hill Pennsylvania Middletown Pennsylvania and and in all these bustling metropolises one of the things that was fascinating to us is that you know people would see us and just come and join the conversation you know it's like there must be something on our faces that are just so inviting right but we'd be talking about whatever and it would come like can we just join you like can you can you actually join us you know but over time, we, we began to realize that, that the simple act of breaking bread together was somehow interrupting the norm in some of these places. And I think that's important because a lot of us, when we talk about racism or, or racial justice or, or reconciliation and coming together, you know, we want to know what's the next book to read or, or what's the seminar to go. We have classes on it. Come on Wednesday, by the way, right? We have classes on it, right? But for all of us, sometimes it's just a simple act of breaking bread together. 
right? It's a simple act of, of, of having relationship and nurturing and building those relationships together. And I think that's beautiful because the way we're created, there's something in our brains called the RAS system, right? I think it's the RA system, but it's RAS, right? And all that means is basically is that we don't really care until we care, you know? My first car was a blue Toyota. Like, to this day, guess what I see on the road all the time? Blue Toyotas, right? You might be wearing glasses, and if we went down to the mall, the kids still go to the mall, I don't even know. But we went down to the mall, you'll notice every single person wearing those glasses, right? There's something internally in how we're constructed by God that we don't really care until we care. And that's why relationships are important. I can't tell you how many people who come up to me and be like, I knew Liberia maybe existed, but now that I know you're from Liberia, I hear it all the time, right? That's how God's made us. We don't care until we care. And the best way to care is in relationships. It's in honesty, it's in vulnerability, it's in doing life and journeying together. I say all that to say is that if we are going to be the body of Christ, if we're going to be members of one another, it can't just be what we read in a book, what we pray on our knees. It's got to be what we eat. Uh, Yes, that was right. I was like, I thought I said who we eat on. But it's got to be in breaking bread together, doing life together, and actually practically being one together. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, our God, we thank you so much that you have now invited us to home in you. God, we pray this morning that this home in Christ may be something that's shared freely and not something that's held vigorously. It may be something that unites us and not something that divides us. God, we thank you that in this home we can celebrate you as the God of grace, the one who blesses us with that unmerited favor, the one who shows power by sending his son, by by Jesus' death, but also by raising him from the dead, the one who shows power by sending the Holy Spirit to now live and reside in us. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are indeed our peace, that the peace we seek, the peace we hope for, is a peace we can know, because it is you who's made it possible for us to be reconciled to God, but also help us to hold on to the truth that it is you who made it possible for us to be reconciled to each other. And yes, we live in a world defined by race, And yes, we live in a world that assigns value to race. And yes, we live in a world of separation and division. But God, you called us to be one. May we be one as you are one with the Father and the Spirit. May we be one as you are one to us. And God of reconciliation, Holy Spirit, we pray that you stir in us not only new ideas, but new power. New power to break down walls of division. New power to listen to your voice. New power to be your people, your light in this world. And we thank you that in this local body, in this local family, we can see God's power in our commitment, in our witness of what Christ has done, but in the testimony of what we're doing to be sisters and brothers and members of one another as one body, as Christ's humanity, as the body of Christ. So now as we go to our everyday scene, Lord, help us to be people who know the God of grace, but live to give grace. Who know the God of peace, but live as peacemakers. Who know the God of reconciliation and are committed to lives of reconciliation between us, between God, between creation, and yes, Lord, even ourselves. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and compassion, and grace. And may we be people of your love, your mercy, your compassion, your grace. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.